My name is, uh, is Tim Allen. I'm the, uh, the director of the LSE's new uh, Africa Centre. Um, and this is one of our, our first events that the Africa Centre has hosted. And um, it's a huge honour to have the Somali uh, um, Minister of Foreign Affairs um, and of, um, of Investment um, to come to speak to us, um, Abu Salam Omar. In fact, he was speaking in New York when I was there last week, but I decided not to go and hear him, so it would all be fresh today. But at this point, I'm going to hand over to Brian Cuss from the uh, Government Department, who's going to be chairing the event. My name is Brian Kloss, uh, and I'm a fellow in comparative politics in the government department. I'm delighted to welcome you to this event this afternoon. Uh, first things first, just a little bit of logistics. If you have any devices that make noise, could you please switch them, switch them to silent? Uh, you're more than welcome to tweet the event with the hashtag LSE Somalia. And we're going to have a lecture today for about 30 minutes, and then that will be followed by some question and answer. Um, and the event will conclude around 2 p.m. The lecture is being recorded, and we'll hopefully have a podcast available afterwards. So please uh, try to keep disruptions, audio disruptions, to a, to a minimum. Now, with that out of the way, it's a great pleasure for me to welcome Dr. Abdislam Omar to the London School of Economics. He's had a di very distinguished career, but has worn many hats throughout his career. But in each hat, he's had one common thread, and that's that you'd want to have him around if things are going very badly, and you'd like them to start going much better. And whether it's been in Washington, D.C., when he helped turn around uh, the school system and many government services there as the chief of staff to the mayor of Washington, D.C., or as an expert consultant to the United Nations and to the World Bank, helping critical development projects in Puntland and Somaliland, Dr. Omar has had a career that has had a marked impact on uh, turning places around. In 2013, he was appointed the governor of the Central Bank of Somalia, and in February 2015, Dr. Omar became Somalia's Minister of Foreign Affairs, the gateway, the diplomatic gateway for Somalia to the rest of the world and the world's gateway to Somalia. Please join me in providing a warm welcome to, to Dr. Abdisalam Omar. Thank you and uh, uh, good afternoon. Uh, I am not a bad person. I do uh, try to correct bad things. So you shouldn't get a wrong impression. But I'm truly honored to be here today at uh, the London School of Economics uh, from a subject and a, and, a, and a country I dearly love. Uh, I want to extend uh, many thanks to the Center, African Center, for inviting me here and, uh, and sharing the Somali story. There is a story that's not being told most of the time, and there is a Somali story that I try to, to share and hear it. It's not always uh, pretty, and it's not always uh, uh, what people think. It's somewhere uh, in between, and some friends ask me, how do I... How, what, what do I think uh, is the Somali story? The Somali story is something close to uh, a plane in the air uh, that couple uh, that has four engines and a couple of them are not working at all, and then the other two are uh, 
uh, humming, and it gets into a turbulence, and the fuel is low, and still we want to bring it down and bring it safely home. And we're trying to do that all the time. Uh, I fully understand whatever I say here and the impact it will have uh, and the reach it will have in the national and international uh, significance that this school have that pioneered for education, economics, law, uh, uh, political science. I am very, very proud to be from Somalia. It's a place of magnificent beauty. Those of you who only saw Somalia on on TV, maybe you should come and visit or take a flight over it. It's a, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Even 30,000 feet above, looking at the Somali coast, is a, is a, is a wonderful uh, thing to see. Uh, it has a wonderful people and a resilient people uh, that have gone through hell and high water, but are there, are still standing, standing up. Uh, it, might, it, might, it might seem impossible to believe now, but Somalia was once a nation at the forefront of development uh, after independence. Somalia, and this is really important, was one of the founding members of the AU, the African Union. Uh, it's one of the founding mem members of the Organization of Islamic Countries. It's one of the founding members of EGAD. Intergovernmental Authority for Development, a valuable member of the Arab League, a staunch campaigner against apartheid that have cost a lot to Somalia, and have hosted almost Afri every African independence leader, from Somaro Michel to Amical Cabral to uh, Oliver Tambo to, uh, to many others uh, in Somalia. So Somalia at one point played a crucial role. But since the beginning of the Civil War and the collapse of the state in 1991, Somalia has experienced one of the most traumatic, violent, and disastrous civil wars in modern history. The scars of this war, the scars of this war are still visible and the, lands, the landscape nation the nation's capital Mogadishu and is still fresh in the minds of those who have lived it through. Somalia's insecurity was born out of poor governance. It's as simple as that. Somalia's insecurity was born out of poor governance, and the near two decades of civil war that ravaged the nation, its people, institutions, and resources, most obvious and important of which is its human capital that scattered around the world. Uh, two million Somalis are scattered around the world, and those two million are, the, are, the, are those who could read and write and have uh, means to go out and get a passport and speak other languages and have uh, a technical know-how. The impact of Somalia's national collapse and the violence that followed enormously impacted on our regional neighbors, but first and, and last, the victims of this instability and violence was against Somalis and the Somali people. Understanding this only too well, security is a major priority for our government. The president says and the prime minister says 
that security is number one, number two, and number three. This is because it's critical to absolutely everything else we endeavor to achieve. Without security, there cannot be development. Without security, there cannot be development and prosperous Somalia. Our government is hoping to make history this year by turning a fragile stage which today is alive with hope and expectation into a democratic country. The history of violence, clan mistrust, mass brain drain can make this task more difficult, but our government and people resolve to change Somalia is iron cast. There is no way back, only going forward now. Wars are not uncommon on the African continent, and increasingly within the Middle East since the Arab Spring. It's noteworthy to remember that great civilizations, nations, and regional groupings throughout history were born out of a struggle including America and the European Union. One of the fundamental foundations of now politically stable and socially integrated European Union, arguably the most integrated regional <coughs> bloc, is the promise of never again. Never again returning to war. Therefore, what's important is that while wars occur, the real issue to take from it are those to enhance future peace, security, stability, regional integration. While peace almost always fragile, it's important, can never, its importance can never be understood or understated as much depends on, on it for us and the rest of the world. We as a government of Somalia understand the importance of and are committed to winning the war against terrorism, both at home and internationally. The Somali National Army, in conjunction with Amisom troops from our brothers and sisters in East Africa, namely Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, and Burundi, have ensured there is no ungoverned space in Somalia today. Somalia is, in fact, one of the few countries which fought its way back out of a conflict while others in the region, like Yemen, sadly begin to enter the new violence, yes, violent cycle. Somalia is also one of the few nations defeating terrorism on its soil with a fraction of the budget spent on other places experiencing similar challenges like Afghanistan and Iraq. Our fight against international terrorism is low cost, high impact, except for the human loss which cannot be quantified. The Somali government's strategic objective is establishing a unified, capable, accountable, and right-based Somali federal security institutions. These will operate in an environment of a democratic freedom, provide safety and security for its citizens. This is not, no longer an idea on a drawing board in some distant office. It's a reality slowly taking shape right at home. Our soldiers, um, our soldiers and people are fighting courageously along Amazon troops to protect their fellow countrymen from Al-Shabaab's pointless violence and tyranny. 
Our police force on a daily basis is conducting door-to-door search, car-by-car search on the main roads and residential areas in an effort to protect innocent lives, private property, restore confidence in the apparatus of our strengthening state on the part of our people and country. Our success against terrorism are very clear. Al-Shabaab is weakened and control no fixed territory. The ideology is shunned by the wider population and some of their key leaders have either been killed or recently sought amnesty from the violence they fear from their colleagues in Al-Shabaab. It's increasingly impossible for the terrorists to launch a conventional war or military assault of any significance in any region like they used to, thanks to the efforts of the Somali National Army and Amazon. There are news reports and discussions in the media about Al-Shabaab's resurgence. I honestly say there is no such thing as we can define a resurgence. I can honestly say there is no such thing as we can define opportunism and desperation after the failures of resurgence. What Al-Shabaab is most skilled is in taking innocent lives the only increase have been in their lack of respect for sanctity of human life in a desperate bid to remain in the media headlines. We are confident that al-Shabaab's opportunistic attack will lessen as the Somali security forces increase in number and capacity. In the end, the only long-term solution for maintaining peace and security in Somalia is well-resourced security apparatus, including National Army and a police force. We remain grateful to all our partners in the region internationally, including the USA, EU, UK, and Turkey, among others, our, our Arab brothers and sisters, our African brothers and sisters. They're valuable, they are valuable partners for their continued support in the achievement of this goal. Al-Shabaab's strategy now is simply to run and hide in the population and carry out desperate and opportunistic attacks against innocent civilians and government employees. They only further demonstrate their moral and ideological bankruptcy. While the results of their mindless and, and criminal assassinations have been horrifying, these attacks are occurring in a smaller in number within Somalia, and indeed, from all this evidence, it's credible to argue that Somalia finally is turning the corner uh, towards security and stability. Somalia and the entire Horn of Africa region security is challenged by the worsening security and political situation in Yemen. Somalia has a very deep and historical roots with Yemen. We remain concerned by the spillover of the conflict in, in Somalia. Foreign fighters are dangerous phenomena who is adding further fuel to the fire. With their various skills, including language, technology, and their threats for violence, we should all be worried by those who cross borders to fight for causes which they do not fully understand or fraudulently represent or mislead others into. Foreign fighters are already a concern in Somalia, with 85% of the recent suicide bombers 
being in this category, and most of the terrorist plots we intercepted involved them at all stages. The challenge for us is that we have an enormous and overwhelming productive and supportive diaspora who have kept our nation going and to continue to keep it going today. However, there are, those, there are few among those who have and still desire to return to undertake terrorist attacks within our borders and the region. To overcome this deadly challenge, the Somali government is cooperating closely with partner nations like our neighbors, the European Union, the Gulf States, and the United States to detect, monitor, and disrupt these plotters before they full, fulfill their goals both in Somalia and other nations. Yemen's conflict has turned the tables with Somalia, receiving thousands of refugees from Yemen seeking asylum and refuge from the violence of their nation. They are our brothers and sisters, and we welcome them. <clears throat> the government of Somalia, despite our limited resource, is playing its role just like Yemen did for us in our, in our hour of need by welcoming the refugees. However, the urgent question for us is who is getting off the boats in Somalia? Are there terrorists hiding among the refuge waiting to establish cells and cause damage? This is a question we must all answer to sustain and advance Somalia and the wider Horn of Africa region peace and stability. Security today is an international issue. No country, no matter how powerful, can insulate itself from it or just simply say, it's not in my backyard. Due to technological advancement, fluid borders, increasing and continuing conflict in the Middle East and poor governance in many instances, the world has become more dangerous than ever before. Who would, who would have thought in a space of a month, Istanbul, Paris, Brussels would be hit by terrorist cells? Who would have thought the world's most famous cities, including London, would all be on high alert with armed uniform officers strategically places in public spaces like never before. Security and the nature of the threat have evolved, and so must governments. A question, a question I always ask myself is, how do you stop a young man and a woman who wakes up one morning, decides to commit suicide, and kill as many people as they can. How do you stop? I think it's a question that's waiting for, for all of us. This is a question we must study and approach from different angles and not always pretend to know the answer or prescribe a hasty cure for it. We must learn from the terrorist operational model, especially in intelligence and resource sharing getting our messages of hope across, as well as cross-border institutions to institutions cooperation. Uh, further, as the foreign fighters in Somalia are now, from, are now from the immediate region and the West, the cause in havoc with their skills and by recruiting their native states, it's important to also evaluate integration policies and practices on the home front front in these countries. Islam 
It's a religion only committed to peace, human solidarity, tolerance like all other religions. Somalis are Muslims and therefore defined primarily by those noble characteristics. We must also separate our religion Islam from those who forcibly misinterpreted, misled others to commit the greatest sin against mankind in the teachings of Islam. Terrorists aggressively sell a divisive message of them and us, yet they really bomb mosques on Fridays, on Friday prayers, in order to kill the maximum number of innocent worshippers. The only battle, the only real battle is between their fraudland and cowardly violence and our national commitment to peace and progress. I'm proud to share with you today that our government have completed its first draft foreign policy since its independence. Many of, many of you at LSE, through your excellent and diverse faculty, are aware of the enormous concerns and aspirations a document like, like this must contain. I am sure, through practice, you will also understand the difficulty of implementing it in an age of multi-level governance, 24-hour media, dwindling resources, and ongoing consultation consultations regarding the future of our world in the form of security, economics, and climate change discussions. <clears throat> Somalia's foreign policy focuses on peace and security, the Somali diaspora, socio-economic development, sustainable environment, and cultural promotion. The overall goal of this policy is to once again create Somalia positively, contributing to its own progress and that of the region and the wider world in all fields and forms. For a post-conflict nation like Somalia, peace and security will remain a subject of great attention until the process of healing and development is completed. However, bringing this lasting change requires more than just an obsession with conventional security and a greater focus on its enablers. Sustaining security and stability in Somalia requires more than the conventional weapons of war. Opportunities for alternative livelihood and economic rebuilding and growth are equally important as the physical security. Education skills, jobs, good governance, and inclusivity are the partner tools for ensuring security and stability to bring about lasting peace and change. Social exclusion, poverty increases, the risk of returning to war in all post-conflict society are real. The young exploited recruits, the most vulnerable in the Somali society today, are always easy target and rarely available to, wreck her, uh, to, to, to destroy and to die for any side willing to cover their basic cost. This is uncomfortable truth. We must face as a nation and world if we are to defeat terrorism permanently. In the words of one reformed former youth recruit, who participated in terrorist activities in Somalia, but has since attended a government de-radicalization program said, and I quote, what did we have to lose? 
we got food and money for what we did, unquote. We collectively have to do more to win their minds and hearts of our youth through proficiency of public service, education, and support, and sustainable security and peace and stability if they were to be possible. The nation-building process has also to have their needs and aspirations at, at its heart as they will inherit privileges and burdens of continuing their forefathers' legacies. The matter of security and its permanent enablers such as skills and, job return, and jobs return us to another fundamental part of foreign policy. There is a need to strengthen regional integration, cooperation with our neighbors, and to jointly confront the challenges of the region as terrorism uh, through our regional and continental organization, such as EGAD and African Union. Again, Somalia and Africa in general, in order to catch up developmentally, does not have the luxury of infighting. We are all in the same boat, and like all other regional organizations, we must reform, build bridges between ourselves and the rest of the world to enhance. We must rise to the challenge of silencing the guns on the continent, turn the lights on the 600 million Africans without electricity and industrializing. Our foreign policy clearly recognized that the traditional aid model has done all it could do in Somalia. To truly consolidate the current security, socioeconomic gains, Somalia will need investment to, spear, to spearhead further economic growth. It's sad that in a rich continent like Africa, where we have the majority of the raw materials and diverse traditional and new energy sources that power is the world, we are still dangerously poor and behind. I'm absolutely convinced that while there, that there are no silver bullets in the international development and security, investment is a key enabler. To successfully overcome many of the developmental challenges of Africa, and in particular, a fragile state like Somalia. As such, we placed investment promotion at the heart of our foreign policy. Somalia is blessed with untapped resources, which, with limited investment in most cases, can both transform Somalia's economic future, create wealth for investors. Somalia is truly a land of hope and opportunity. Why do I say this? Because Somalia has the longest coast in Africa, one of the most reliable broadband in the Horn of Africa, 8.9 million hectares of arable land, a young and increasingly educated workforce, and is a world leader in livestock trade. In addition, Somalia has the best wind and sun radiation in the world. According to the IMF, the economy grew by 3.7% in 2014, and the GDP rose by 6.5%. This is forecast to continue on this upward trajectory for the foreseeable future as the country stabilizes and many of the estimated 2 million diaspora return to invest. With its enormous untapped resources mentioned earlier, 
Somalia has the potential to be world leader in renewable energy, fishing, agriculture, ICT and livestock. Furthermore, its strategic location in the Gulf of Aden, it has the potential to return to its former role as a gateway of trade, commerce and logistics by connecting lucrative markets in the Middle East and, and Far East as well as the landlocked neighboring states with over hundreds of millions of ready customers. Somalia's economic potential is boundless. Investment in re renewable energy, fishing, and agriculture will actually help to achieve most of the UN Sustainable Development Goals of 2030. Given all these resources and possibilities, it's therefore a tragedy that we are among the poorest societies in the world. This is something our government is committed to addressing to empower our people, nation, enrich our region and the wider world. And we therefore welcome all investors to Somalia, where I am certain that they will make enormous profit while helping to rebuild our country sustainably. There is a widely question, asked question, when, when it comes to investing in Africa, in particular in countries recovering from post-conflict like mine. This is... Is it, the, is, it, is it the right time? People ask all the time. I ask you, is there ever a right time? Is there ever or was there ever a right time to invest in anything? Look at what investment did for post-war Europe. It brought peace, prosperity, and even helped to create the EU. If we all waited for the right time, some of the greatest enablers of our lives today, like the internet, computers, and mobile phones, would not have existed. And some, more, and some of the more developed nations today would not be enjoying their living standards and public services. Certainly, there would, be, there would be even less international stability than there is today. To enable investment, our government has passed one of the most flexible investment laws in the world, we are actively promoting public-private partnership to get investment and development on their way. We have also established the office of SOM Invest to oversee the entire process, ensuring ease of doing business in Somalia for actual and potential investors. The Somali diaspora has played and continued to play a crucial role in Somalia's development from sending billions of dollars worth of remittances to serving in government offices and as politicians and investing early in Somalia. They have truly kept Somalia alive and connected to the world. Our foreign policy sees the diaspora as a link between Somalia and their new and adopted homes promoting Somali culture and being model ambassadors. We therefore need them to continue to returning to investment bring back their technical know-how, and help their fellow brothers and sisters, not just in Somalia, but Africa, achieve progress. Democracy, dialogue, and development are crucial to our state-building goals. We now better than anyone any other time, uh, those without stake in the existing order are vulnerable to manipulation. Somalia society's historical clan structure inflamed the nearly 20-year civil war and without inclusive politics. 
can hold our democratization process hostage if we do not succeed in heralding a new age of political inclusivity and opportunity. This process has already begun, as we have already created regional federal states. In addition, we have chosen a model to elect our parliament and president this year. This historic agreement on whose implementation planning on our government is working on now is one that will truly come to symbolize a new Somalia moving forward towards democracy, stability, and progress. Democracy has many challenges, especially in post-conflict society with limited experience of it like Somalia. However, the fact that we are agreed on an election model and are determined and are determined to see it through a great success. This election model, while not based on the traditional one person, one vote, is more inclusive than the one in 2012. We are determined in Somalia to move forward together in the direction of peace, progress through democratic ideals and genuine inclusiveness to ensure we never return to the dark past. Democracy is not easy. As you know, those of you who live in Europe, it's long, it's difficult, it's compromising process, which itself is not perfect. Recent European elections have produced many coalition governments and simple majority voting and winner-takes-all mentality appears to be have shaken. This is the best illustration that while democratic ideals are precious, its implementation is often messy and requires patience and compromise. We in Somalia are experiencing the difficulty of democratization process. Our government is undertaking the kind of transformative political and socioeconomic reform which many developing and developed nations have struggled with for over decades, if not for centuries in just four years. It's not all simple, straightforward textbook. It's not rational policy making. In most cases, it's muddling through day after day. As is clear, our government is flying, fueling, and trying to safely land the plane, as I started with, with limited fuel. However, I can assure you that this will happen. I always say that Somalia is turning the corner. I was recently asked, how long will it be turning the corner? Well, the answer is that post-conflict states cannot be fixed by the next funding deadline, nor campaign and disappointment and social upheaval, as the case in Somalia, be resolved by the next news bulletin. But you rest assured Somalia has turned the corner. Peace building and development requires patience, healing, understanding, and all these call all these call for process policies to be led, to be centered on the people they most affect. Despite my gray hair, I'm like many of us in this room today, a student of an evolving world, riddled with questions and search for solutions to all major issues. In my humble opinion, I'm sure I'm surrounded by eminent scholars and seasoned practitioners, 
on all matters of development and international affairs, such as security, economic development, and environment, there is no one size fits all. Each situation is unique. Each solution must be tailored, and where it exists, transfer where it's required and best fits. The flexibility and polarity will generate honest discussion and certainly involve those who matter the most. The people and beneficiaries in all processes. Somalia has truly turned the corner, and its one is again returning to the community of nations with a strong and visionary ambition to play a meaningful role. Somalia is no longer the problem as we, in fact, through our different experiences, have many answers to contribute to the pertinent international discussions, and we do at the highest levels of international forums. In Somalia, whether it's a planned election, regional state formation process, security and environmental development, we are putting people at the center of all conversations. This, we are confident, we will herald a new, peaceful, democratic, progressive, and prosperous Somalia once again, playing its role in the world we seek to build as a government. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Omar, for that excellent lecture. Um, I'm sure we have many questions in the audience, so what we're going to do is have a slate of three at a time before the answers. Um, could I ask you please to keep your questions short and ensure that they're actually a question rather than delivering a miniature lecture of your own? And when asking your question, could you please state your name and any affiliation you have if you're a student at the LSE or you're representing an organization? Um, and so I'll turn the floor over to people who have questions. In the front row here, yeah. Yeah, hello. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Absalan Hadliya, for your presentation about Somalia new policy. Uh, my name is Abdul Rasak Abdullahi I'm originally from uh, other region as you come from there. Um, I finished my my degree in Ahmed University in Somalia, and when I come to the UK, I finished my master's in here. So when the civil war broke out in Somalia, I was eight, eight years old, and I finished all my education in Boroma, Somaliland, up to university in, in, in Ahmed University. And there was a peace from there up to now. We claim that we are independent from... Sorry, could you ask a question, please? Yeah. Thank you. We claim that we are independent from the rest of Somalia, and the union of Somaliland and Somalia, it was broken down when the civil war broke out in 1991. Do you, what do you think? Uh, we claim that we are independent under Somalia. They always claim the unity of Somalia. So, as foreign minister, what do you think is the best solution for, for, best solution for both sides? And... The next small question that I got for you, your recent interview for a few away, you said the Somaliland will not be peace if there's no peace in Somalia. We have been living in peace in Somaliland for the past 25 years, and two months ago, two, two days ago, we celebrated our, uh, our 25th anniversary of our independence. So what, what did you say for that? This, there will not be peace in Somalia. Do you, do you mean that... If there's a peace in Somalia, the African Union in Mogadishu and the forces of Somalia government will invade in Somaliland. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. Let's take some more questions. Yes, in the middle there. Uh, my name is Bronwyn Manby. I'm a visiting fellow here at the LSE. His name is? Uh, Bronwyn Manby. 
Um, I have a question related to the refugee camps in Kenya. Uh, you mentioned the closure of the camps in general, but I've, I've got a specific question related to the elections that are scheduled this year and that have just been confirmed, I see on the, now, uh, that they will take place to the Security Council. Um, what efforts will you make to, in, to, to register so Somalis uh, in the diaspora to vote? And in particular, I'm thinking of the refugee camps, but obviously it applies more generally. And how, how would that be managed? Because it would be a, a very overwhelming task. Thank you. And maybe over here. Hello, my name is Romain. Um, I'm from London Business School. I have a question. You mentioned the regional integration within Djibouti and Kenya. All, all this. To which extent you compete with Djibouti and Kenya in particular, while Djibouti invested in the port of Dorale, when Kenya is developing Lapset? Um, and what's your kind of strategy to catch up with that? Because this is like super long-term investment in infrastructure. Great. So we have three questions, one about Somaliland, one about refugee camps, and one about regional integration. So however you'd like to tackle them, Dr. Omar. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, let me start with uh, my fellow uh, villager. I think we come from the same village. That's what he said, and I, I like that village. Uh, we differ a little bit because I'm not from Somaliland. I'm from Somalia. Uh, but uh, the issue of Somalia, Somaliland. I don't believe there is the solution of one state or two states is the only option Somalis have. You have a continuum here and here uh, uh, certain groups in Somaliland say we want two states and another uh, Somalis and many Somalis say we want one state. In between there are modalities. Modalities that can bring us together that can sh uh, each group can share their own aspirations uh, what do I mean by modality? I think one is the one uh, Great Britain has, Wales, Scotland, and, 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 Brit and England. Uh, we could have the modality of the Arab Emirates. We could have the modality of the uh, uh, federal states, like we, we're having now, or Ethiopia has. Or we could have uh, the contents of Switzerland. So it's not a question of one state, two states. It's a question is how do we create a new Somalia, a Somalia that answers to the, all the aspirations of the Somali people. And it cannot be done by force. Probably uh, your second part of the question, I said, there cannot be peace in Somaliland if there is no peace in, in Somalia. There cannot be peace in UK if there is no peace in France. It's as simple as that. There is no Iraq was burning. Syria was uh, was doing okay. Now Syria is burning. Who is next tomorrow? Libya is burning. Tunis is struggling. These are neighbors. These are the same people. So the idea of I live in an island by myself and I have 18 years of peace doesn't work. Furthermore, one of the leaders of Al-Shabaab was from Somaliland. The one who blew up Al Jazeera was from Somaliland. 
The one who blew up from Central Hotel was from Somaliland. The one who blew up Dalo airplane was from Somaliland. So therefore, we're Somalis. And we're Somalis killing Somalis. And it should stop. And we should come somewhere uh, in the middle. So there's nothing wrong with Somaliland. I'm very happy Somaliland is peaceful. But also Puntland is peaceful. Also, Bladwaina is peaceful. Mogadishu is peaceful today. It's now time to come together uh, and decide our destiny, collectively, collectively. Uh, my friend, uh, on the election model, let me just explain to you uh, the election model that has been agreed on. It's not quite one, one person, one uh, vote. It will be done, the, the, the progress here is that the current parliament was elected by 123 elders. So this is 123 elders that selected 275 MPs. Now we are thinking about, and what has been agreed is that 15,000 people will come together and select 275 members of parliament. Each person from each community will be selected by 50 people. Those 50 will be composed of the elders, the religious people, uh, the youth, the, the women organizations. They will come together and say, uh, John or Muhammad represents us. And that, that person will become an MP. And it will not be done in Mogadishu like it was done before. If you follow the history of Somali uh, governments, the first Somali government was made in Djibouti, the next one was made in Nairobi, the third one was made in Mogadishu. Now the Somali government will be uh, composed of all the regions uh, of Somalia except Somaliland which opted out to, uh, not, to, not to participate. But that in itself is not a true statement. I'm from Somaliland. The Deputy Prime Minister is from Somaliland. The Minister of Justice is from Somaliland. The Minister of Transportation is from Somaliland. The Minister of Communication, uh, of, uh, communication is from Somaliland. Uh, and there are many, many others. And there are 62 uh, members of the Parliament who are from Somaliland. So uh, it will be a better electoral process than what we had before. And hopefully it will take us to the next uh, step of one man, one vote. And then we need to think about how hope, uh, hopefully in four years we will not have refugees in Kenya or any other place. They will come back home. Nobody wants to be a refugee for, for 20 years. And I think uh, if diaspora can send money from London to Mogadishu electronically, I think there will be a way of voting too electronically. Yeah. And then uh, the regional integration and the Dorale Lapset. And if I, if I want to add one for you, uh, I understand and I don't know the details. Uh, Dubai Port just signed an agreement with, with Barbara. Uh, in the first place, uh, what you said, it's not only Dorale and Lapset, it will be Barbara and then it will be Bosaso and it will be Hobio and it will be Mugadisho and Kismayo. Uh, what it says is that we are blessed 
with a long coast that connects the rest of the world. We need to come up with the brain as to how to share these businesses and develop it. The world is looking uh, for uh, places. Uh, there is something in the neighborhood of uh, 70,000 ships go through the Red Sea and Babel Mandeb every year. That's an incredible number of ships, and, uh, and, and, and I think there's a business for everyone. But the importance of the regional integration is this. We have a long coast. Ethiopia is landlocked. It's 100 million. Kenya is almost getting close to, uh, to 50 million. Uh, uh, Somali entrepreneurs are everywhere in East Africa and in Ethiopia. And we need to harness that and make it uh, possible for all groups uh, to use our ports, our natural resources, and to Somalis to find a market uh, uh, in their own, own region. Region, regional integration is a contributor to peace and stability. And we just need to manage it. Great. Can we take three more questions? Yeah, right here in the middle. Um, thank you very much for that uh, encouraging lecture. Um, you emphasized uh, the significance of peace, security, and, and regional stability. Uh, you also expressed the commitment of your government to secure a peaceful, prosperous Somalia under conditions of democratic accountability. But there are countries in the region uh, who actually thrive on the back of the chaos and instability uh, in the region. Uh, countries who manufacture crisis in the region benefit or access technical financial uh, benefit from the West. Um, financial assistance, technical assistance and that goes to building the political machine and surveillance states that protects um, minority regimes. Countries that win 100% of the seats, for example, in parliament after 20 years uh, of being on power. My question then is how does your vision of creating uh, a democratic Somalia uh, uh, in which uh, regional integration cooperation plays a central role becomes uh, a possibility given uh, the unsustainable sort of relationship that exists between the different people in different countries? Um, specifically, for example, um, Ethiopia. You mentioned Ethiopia has 100 million people. Okay. Out of those 100 million people, close to half are almost. This Sorry, people, I think we're going to leave it there for now. And so we, we can only can have five I just finish? Yeah. I'm almost done. Close to half of those 100 million people are almost, but almost are people who are marginalized and subjugated. And the country's politics is dominated, as you know, by a party that represents a very tiny fraction. And these are unsustainable in the future. So how does how does that play out in terms of uh, making that vision a possibility. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's just right here. Just the woman right there, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Uh, I have another question to uh, related to money and identity, actually. You were talking about um, having different moralities between Somaliland, Puntland, and um, Somalia. So what do you think um, the increasing circulation between the free regions in uh, mobile money, do you think it's a threat or an actually a chance to create a common morality between all the free regions? Okay. And this back there. 
Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Ikram Hussain. I work for King's College University. Um, my question goes to, um, in regards to the Salt Sinai and Ain region. We have recently um, seen that it's been, civilians have been killed quite recently, and it, this is something that happens every year, most likely, when the northern part of Somaliland, or the Somaliland part, is celebrating the Independence Day. Now, the Punna government recently made quite a strong statement um, in regards to the killings, stating that their sorry, stating that their sorry, I forgot my question. Here, but the statement that they made was basically saying that their um, so my question basically will be, um, Dr. Omer, is what are you going to do? to restore the peace in Seoul, Sanag, and Ain region. Great, thank you. Okay. So we take those three maybe? And, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I think the first question was uh, uh, the security and regional approach uh, of my young friend. And what's your name, sir? Okay. Uh, a benefit from... Uh, and, and let me say this. I think we tried. We tried over many, many centuries. I'm more than you. I'm better. I want to rule. And winner takes all. It didn't work. My friend, it did not work. We are poor than we were when we received independence. We are more backward than when, we, when the Europeans were there. We have killed more of our children than diseases have killed. So there's got to be a new vision and a new way of looking at the Horn of Africa. And that new vision and a new way of looking at the Horn of Africa is to have a regional approach. How can we come together and live together in peace and share uh, the, what, what, what we have in the most equitable way. I agree with you. Without social justice, there would never be peace. There ought to be a good governance. There ought to be transparency. There ought to be an accountability. And there ought to be uh, social justice. But in order to do that first, we need to put the guns down. And we need to come. It was unthinkable a year, maybe four years ago, that Ethiopian children will, young men and women will come, or Kenyan young men and women will come to Somalia and help us defeat Al-Shabaab. Uh, today it's a reality. It was unthinkable that uh, in Ethiopia will be sending uh, 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 excess energy to, uh, to Kenya. It's a reality today. The border between Somalia and Ethiopia cannot be closed anymore. So we need to come with, with a new paradigm. And in my opinion, that paradigm and that vision is a re regional economic integration. We are almost 200 million people between Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia, Djibouti, and Eritrea. 200 million people. And we can do better than 
than buying weapons and all that. And I'm not, uh, I don't subscribe to to uh, conspiracy theories of the West giving them something to subjugate the others. I, I, I understand. Uh, Ethiopia. The money is given to fight terrorism. That money goes to build the political machine, to build surveillance state that is a unit to control dissident groups, other populations. But also when they're fighting terrorism and we, we are defeating. So uh, but think about uh, just what I said and maybe it will, it will make uh, sense. Uh, Money and modality and the increase of uh, uh, trade. Uh, I want to uh, just bring to your attention Somalia and Somaliland. There are more trade between them today than it would in 1969. There are more integrated businesses today than before. Somalia and Somaliland or Somali people are tied to each other on the hip economically. Politically, we have uh, major uh, differences and we need to, uh, to work it out. And it's one of the reasons I'm convinced that there will be uh, uh, an agreement as to how Somalia will move forward because we are... Uh, uh, we are uh, we are trading more. We have uh, sharing more. Uh, uh, for example, you hear the uh, telecom in Somalia is highly advanced, which is true. It's owned by Somalis from Somalia, from Mogadishu, from Bosaso, from Hargeisa. It's a cooperation of 400 people, and they come from every region. There are two airlines come from every region. Uh, there are trading, trucking business. They come from every region. A businessman want to bring his uh, or her commodity from Bosa support, they bring it and they take it to Hargeisa or they take it to Mogadishu. Hopefully they will take it to Jigjiga one day and Adisaba. So uh, we are tied economically so and um, the, the money modality, I, I forgot. Yeah, it's more about because mobile money is all about dollarization. So it will, in a certain extent, um, undermine creating a national identity within Somalia. So it could be a threat to create a Somali state, but mm. in the other, on the other hand, be perhaps an opportunity to create a common morality between the three regions. No, there are two issues here. The, the capacity of the technical ability for people to buy and sell and the type of currency. I, I just told the, the director and my friend here today, uh, I was sitting in a restaurant in Mogadishu and a shoe shine, a 10-year-old boy wanted to shine our shoes and he was persistent so he said finally, okay, you can go and shine it and he did a good job and we said, uh, how much? And he said, five dollars. And we didn't have anything less than uh, uh, $100 or $20. And he said, my telephone number is one, two, three, four. 
throw it at me. It's a new terminology. Send it to me. So the, the guy who was with me took the number and went to his phone and sent him $5. He said, thank you. He wrote back, thank you. Uh, so that's the, 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 the ability of the technology. The currency we use now is a dollar, but you could use any currency. Uh, the biggest uh, uh, money, tra money uh, this type of money transfers are uh, in PESA. And in PESA doesn't use their dollars. They use uh, Kenyan shillings. And in terms of... Uh, I don't. I think the, the reason why economically maybe the dollar dollarized in the Somali economy makes sense. It's already there, but uh, the national sovereignty and the aspiration of the Somali people demands that there be a Somali money, and I think in time it will be it will be done. I, I just want to add with uh, one thing on the. Uh, a dollar, a do, uh, the, the money, uh, this technology. In Africa, those countries that took the U.S. dollar as their means of exchange always had a problem. And that problem was there are no coins. So everything costs the, it's a dollar, a dollar or more. In the Somali case, you can pay for 50 cents on this mobile phone and keep your 50 cents as a change. So it, it, it addresses that other, other issue. It needs a lot of work and we should learn something from Kenya. Kenya is doing a good job. Uh, my sister, uh, I saw Sanag and Ayn. What, what do you want me to say? We don't need war. The war should stop. It doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, and uh, compartmentalization of Somalia, Somalis, is, is a bad thing to do. Uh, I come from Borama, so therefore I'm a different clan than the one in Hargeisa. Who the hell cares? Yeah. Who cares in this world? Uh, I think what's happening in Seoul and Senag is, is sad. There is also a bad drought uh, going on. Uh, I think we should all pray for Somalia. Thank you very much, Dr. Omar.